Hey, good morning. We've been uh, going through the book of Revelation, and um, as I was thinking about the passage today, um, I was thinking of how difficult it is to preach uh, about a situation that's just so foreign to us, right? We uh, got up this morning, um, you know, pulled out my cell phone, I could check the news, uh, I could use a, uh, uh, facilities with running water, uh, could have a nice warm breakfast, I could get in my car, I could drive here. Um, life is, is easy. Uh, but we're talking today about uh, a period of time, perhaps uh, halfway through the seven-year tribulation period. We talked about the fact that um, there will be uh, that last week of Daniel that hasn't happened yet. Daniel's 70-week uh, prophecy is coming. Uh, it will start with the church being raptured away, and uh, then God's judgments will start pouring down on the earth. And we talked about uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first one representing the Antichrist coming, uh, conquering the world, effectively. Uh, then we talked about a period of war, of uh, uh, peace being taken away from the earth, men killing one another, uh, whether it's in warfare or, or neighbor killing neighbor. Um, we talked about famine, uh, there not being enough food, uh, uh, one hundredfold increase in the price of food. Uh, we talked about uh, plagues coming on the earth. Uh, and at the end of that uh, period of perhaps three and a half years, if, if that's the, the period of time that happens in, uh, a quarter of the population of the earth dead, two billion people dead. I believe much of the infrastructure we rely on today uh, would be gone. And then on top of it, uh, as uh, Don covered last week, there would be a, a great earthquake such that every mountain and island would be moved, basically a worldwide earthquake, everything shaken, moving out of its place. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, this is the verses that Don ended the message with last week, Revelation uh, 6, uh, 15 through 17, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Uh, the situation has become so bad that the only place people can hide is in caves and rocks of the mountains. There's not going to be other shelters. People are not going to have uh, bomb shelters to run to. They're not going to have their comfortable homes to run to. Uh, complete breakdown of civilization. That's what we're talking about. And uh, the response of people is the recognition that God is judging them. Today, if you uh, want to share the gospel with people, they will start with, uh, you, know, you know, we don't need this, right? You're sharing with us something we just don't need. Uh, I, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, 
and I don't think God is going to judge me, so why do I need Jesus dying on the cross for me? Right? That's how it is today. The situation is going to be completely opposite in those days. People will understand they are under the judgment of God. And um, we see a desperation. Uh, what is it that they're asking for? They're not asking for salvation. They're asking to, for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of They're asking for annihilation. They're saying, I want to be out of here. This is so terrible. I just want to cease being, right? Uh, without the understanding that what comes after death is worse, right? Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire, something that they don't understand. But they certainly do understand that they're being judged by God. Very, very different from things today. And that's the mindset we somehow have to get into. That's what it will be like. Uh, and I have to kind of step back and say there's actually something good happening here. It, yes, it's terrible that civilization as we know it is destroyed. It's terrible that two billion people died. But it's actually a good thing that people understand that they are under the judgment of God. In fact, uh, that is why we're told uh, in John 16, uh, 7 and 8 coming in, uh, that uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. We're told in, in John 16, 7 and 8, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is what the world needs right now, is conviction of sin, our sin against God, righteousness, God's righteousness and judgment. Because of our sin, God will judge us, right? And uh, it seems that after three and a half years of destruction during this seven-year period, sorry, three and a half years out of the total seven, uh, mankind is finally at the point of acknowledging we are being judged by God. We are being judged by God. And so the question that they ask, which uh, Don pointed to last week, is who is able to stand? Who is able to stand when God's judgment comes? Which I think they mean by that, who doesn't have to be afraid? Who can stand when God's judgment is coming on the earth? Well, those who don't fear, right? I, I don't fear God's judgment, and I, I don't, I'm not boasting about it. I have a reason not to fear. And, and the answer is that God has provided for everybody so that no one has to be afraid. Right? So if we ask the question, who is able to stand? Theoretically, anyone can stand the judgment of God. How? How can we stand the judgment of God? Romans 10, 8 and 9 tells us the way we can stand when God's judgment comes. When God's judgment comes, how can we stand? But what does it say, Romans 10 and 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. God has provided the means of salvation so I can be saved from the judgment of God. And if I know that I am saved, I can stand when God's judgment comes. Right? We don't, we're preaching here through the period of revelation, God's period of judgment that's coming, uh, and, and most people here are not afraid of that judgment because we know we are saved. How can you be saved? It says here, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Confession means to agree. Often we, we, call, we call a confession when somebody is in a court of law. Right? I, I was given uh, a ticket uh, a couple of weeks ago. I shared it during my message. And I confessed I did wrong. I, I didn't expect I would get a ticket. Uh, but once the policeman stopped me and said, did you see those you know, double white lines? I said, yes, I saw those. And uh, did you go around them? Uh, I mean, did you, did you go through them? Yeah, I went through them. I confessed. I agreed with God, with the police officer. Confession means to agree with God, with what God, God says in your word. I agree with God that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I agree with God that he is righteous. He is righteous. I agree with God that I deserve his judgment against my sins. I agree with God about all these things. Um, but I believe. I believe. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save us. And he saved us, as we were singing about it uh, a moment ago, by Jesus uh, going to the cross at Calvary. And uh, when he was crucified, God placed upon Jesus all of my sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid that penalty that I deserve because of my sins. He was then buried, for, and after three days he rose from the dead to prove who he is and what he has accomplished for my sins, for, for my salvation. And by believing God's provision, I confess and I believe. Believing God's provision for my salvation, I am saved. That's what it says, right? That uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel message. It's a message we believe today to be saved. And it will be the message people will believe in the book of Revelation to be saved. So when the question is asked, who is able to stand, the answer would be anyone who believes the gospel is able to stand against God's judgment. Now, as we continue on in Revelation, we'll be looking at chapter 7 in the book of Revelation. We will see a two-part answer in chapter 7. The first is what we call the 144,000. So we will look at that today. Who were the 144,000? And how did they provide an answer to the question, who is able to stand? And then next week, Lord willing, we will look at what was called the uh, great, um, the great company, the great crowd, I'm losing it right now, uh, that, that will come out of the great tribulation. Um, Somebody will look it up and find for me. I think it's going to be like verse uh, nine. Multitude, great multitude, yeah. So we'll look, we'll look next week at the great multitude that comes out of the great tribulation. That will be the second answer to the question, who is able to stand. But if you get nothing else from the message, 
uh, you are able to stand in the face of God's judgment if you have confessed, agreed with God, and have believed, uh, believed in what God has done for your salvation, have put your faith in Jesus' complete work on the cross. If you get nothing else from the message, please at least get that. Okay, with that, let's turn to Revelation chapter 7, and we'll read verse 1 through 8. Revelation 7. <clears throat> After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of God, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Ishakar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So that's the 144,000. Uh, we notice that looks like some. Okay, never mind. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, so this is the 144,000. First we notice that there were four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Uh, this is likely describing the next four judgments. So for those of you who've been with us, I'm sorry, I don't have a slide showing it. Uh, the, uh, God's judgment uh, as it's being put out in the book of Revelation is divided into seven seals then seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. So the first seven already happened. Actually, technically the first six. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for that look. Um, so the first six seal judgments have happened. The seven trumpet judgments are actually technically contained in the seventh seal. So that's yet to happen. And then we'll see the seven bowl judgment are technically all contained in the seventh uh, trumpet. So the first four angels who will be sounding the trumpets that will be the next four judgments to come, right? So we're right between right now the seven seals and seven trumpets align fairly well with these four angels because we will see that the, uh, those judgments are going to be hitting uh, the trees or vegetation, they're going to be hitting the sea, and then they're going to be hitting the rivers and celestial bodies, which you know, kind of relate to the earth. So probably these four angels really represent the next four judgments. And what God is doing here is telling them, stop. Okay, we've had these judgments. The people 
have believed the bad news, God's judgment is coming, stop. Okay, we need to pause here because I have a work to do. Remember, as God is judging the earth, he's also trying to save people. Right? Now that people believe the bad news, God wants to focus on, on the work of reaching the lost, reaching those who have believed the bad news to gather them uh, into his kingdom. And that's why this angel speaking to the other four angels, telling them, stop, hold on, hold on, before you continue with God's judgment. Uh, we see he has the seal of the living God. I have a picture of not a seal of the living God, but a seal that claims like it would be the seal of the living God. And that's something that you could get if you wanted to make sure people knew what your belongings are. You could get a seal like that and you can mark them and they will say, okay, property of Noah Shapiro, property of Noah Shapiro. In this case, this is a seal of the living God and it will be a seal applied to the foreheads of these 144,000 showing that they belong to the living God. Right? That's the seals uh, that we're talking about here. Um, I don't know for a fact whether this will be visible to all. After, after the seal is applied to the foreheads of the 144,000, I don't know for a fact that anyone can look at them and say, okay, these are the 144,000, uh, they're marked. It's possible that it will be an invisible seal that not everybody will be able to see. Um, but it is also possible that, uh, that it will be obvious. Um, now, it is uh, something that's important to God, right? God uh, wants us to recognize uh, those who are is. He wants those who are is uh, to be recognizable. God doesn't want us to be, uh, I don't know what you call them, secret Christians, right? Uh, you have, um, if I was to send a, you know, a spy to, to a hostile territory, you know, it would be their responsibility to, to um, what do you call it, mingle, to be uh, hidden, unobserved, nobody being able to tell whether he's anything other than a regular citizen of that country. Um, that's not God's idea of what we should be as Christians. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 14 and 15, it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Um, people, by, by knowing me, should know, uh, number one, that I belong to God. Right? That should be one of those things that uh, people should know about me. And number two, they should get an idea of what God is like by knowing me. Uh, my uh, identity with God should correspond to a life lived in a way consistent with God's will. And um, that would make me a natural testimony to all around me. Now, uh, not everybody is going to be happy about it, right? Some people don't want to have anything to do with God. And when I tell them that uh, I'm a Christian, they're like, well, you know, you sit over there far from me. <laughs> or they may not like what I have to say about God. Uh, if, I, if I suggest certain things are wrong, you know, please don't take the Lord's name in vain. Or, or the things that you're doing are not 
the things that, that uh, God approves. Um, or similarly, by the way I live my life, not being willing to do the things that they're doing, right? Uh, but that's something that, that God wants for me, and without that in my life, uh, I don't have much of a testimony for Christ, right? I'm not going to be able to effectively uh, bring the gospel to anyone if, I, if they can't tell that I'm a Christian <laughs> and uh, if I don't reflect God in my life, right? That's, that's just the reality. Um, we should desire it. Uh, in Isaiah 44, uh, 5, uh, God is speaking through Isaiah, describing the way people will be uh, uh, one day and, and, and should be applied to us today. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Uh, it should be a, a mark of honor, a mark of glory to be identified as belonging to God. And that's what uh, will be the case with this 144,000. Uh, okay, uh, looking at the 144,000, we want to answer uh, a couple of questions. First, who are the 144,000? If you were to search online, you will find different opinions of who these guys are. But it's pretty clear from the passage here uh, that they're Jews, right? He says that um, I heard a number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So right there it says that the, these are people from the tribes of the children of Israel. Um, and then it actually starts listing the tribes and make sure you realize out of each tribe, you got 12,000. And those 12 tribes, and uh, the number 144 is simply 12 times 12. Uh, 12, often we, we see numbers in the Bible having certain meaning. The number 12 corresponds, guess who, with who? With the nation of Israel, right? So there's really, if we're willing to take the word of God at face value, there's no other conclusion than that these really are 144,000 people from the nation of Israel. Why do people look for other answers other than it being the nation of Israel? I can think of a couple uh, main reasons. One is... Um, Today, if we look at Israel, Israel's not following God, right? They, they, don't, they rejected Christ. When God sent them the Lord Jesus to be the Messiah, they rejected him on a national level. Now, some believed, right? The 12 disciples, they were Jews. All of the early followers of Jesus were actually Jews, but they were always a minority. Now, the same today, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. You still have Jews who who believe in Jesus, right? That hasn't gone away completely, but on a national level, right, the nation of Israel has continued in their rejection of the Lord Jesus as, as Israel's Messiah, right? And so people are like, well, how can God choose 144,000 of these people who, who are rejecting him? Number two is uh, people that don't understand God's plans for the church might say, well, you know, where's the church? Where's the church? And then they'll point to 144,000. Okay, well, here's the church, right? Because you're, otherwise you're not finding the church in the book of Revelation. They're there for the first three chapters, the letters that Jesus sends to the churches, but then after the first three chapters, they're gone, and you see the nation of Israel instead. And people say, well, so the nation of Israel must represent the church, must be one of these symbolism thing in the Bible, right? So... 
What's the problem with that? The problem with really both of these is uh, either it's a combination of either not understanding God's word or not believing God's word. What does God say regarding the nation of Israel uh, in the Bible? He says this in Romans 11, verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, and this is Paul, and he's writing to the church, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, this hidden truth, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Right now, blindness in part has happened, right? Most of Israel failed to see the truth about who Jesus is. I was talking to Ida about it uh, during our break, right? Right now, Israel doesn't see the blood of Christ shed for them. They don't understand that he is God's provision for them uh, for salvation. But uh, let's continue down that first. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now, God, God is gathering the Gentiles. There is a remnant of Israel that's still saved, but God is gathering the Gentiles, right? There's you know, thousands of Jews, perhaps, but millions of Gentiles that God is adding uh, to the church. So that's the period in which we are now, but that time will end. Blindness, in part, has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until God is done bringing in the Gentiles, right? And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Right now, because Israel is against the gospel, Right? They technically are regarded as enemies. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has chosen the nation of Israel, and he promised to save the nation of Israel. Jesus came as a Messiah to the nation of Israel, and they will recognize him as, the, as their Messiah. And the nation of Israel will be saved. Because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You can't change what God has determined to be done. Right? And so when you have that mind frame, it's not hard to look at the book of Revelation and say, okay, well, it looks like the nation of Israel will be saved. Praise the Lord. Right? It fits. It fits with God's word. Okay, so that's who the 144,000 are. Now, the other thing you, we, we've said before, um, and, uh, and, and you could find, when, when you do like online research, who are the 144,000, uh, it will say that these are going to be Jewish evangelists. So 144,000 are not representing the totality of the nation of Israel that will be saved. They're a select group of the nation of Israel who will be evangelists to really, not just the rest of the nation of Israel, but to the entire world, right? Now, why do we believe that? And uh, I, I sent, you know, confess, I, I sent an email to Don earlier this week because I was like, you know, Don said it, I've heard it said before. Uh, it's difficult to find a verse that specifically says that this 144,000 will be evangelists. But there's a lot of other things that suggest to us enough to, in my opinion, to say with a high level of confidence that that is what these guys will be. They will be evangelists. Why do we say that? Why do we say 
that these 144,000 will be evangelists. Uh, first, uh, we have in Matthew 24, um, I'm not going to read the whole passage, uh, but uh, you may recall he was sitting on the Mount of Olives after um, he came into the temple on what we call um, uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, he, came, he came in, he effectively offered himself as Israel's Messiah, and they effectively rejected him. And uh, the disciples were trying to encourage him, saying, hey, look at these beautiful stones. And Jesus is like, you know, not one of these stones will, will remain standing on each other. All of this will be destroyed. And they're like trying to fit that with their understanding of the Messiah coming. Right? They expected him to come and to reign on the throne in Jerusalem right? and rule over the whole world. That was their picture of the Messiah, which is also ours. Right? But Jesus, what Jesus was telling them didn't fit. And so they asked him, can you tell us, explain to us what's going to happen? And then in chapter 24, you could go, and Jesus will basically outline the end times, fits very well with the book of Revelation, right? So that's why sometime when we're not quite sure where are we in the book of Revelation, you can turn to Matthew 24 and look, okay, what, what's happening? Um, so in Matthew 24, starting in verse 4, uh, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, he's answering the disciples as they're trying to understand, you know, what's going to happen in the future, Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So we actually already pointed out how these verses fit very well with the first four plagues uh, um, that happen in chapter 6, the seal judgments, right? We saw, uh, <clears throat> we saw war, we saw famine, we saw pestilences, we saw earthquakes, right? So all of that, Jesus says, is the beginning of sorrows. And then he, he goes through uh, persecution that will happen, verse 9, through verse 13, I will skip that, and then in verse 14 he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And if you were to continue in Matthew 24, it's clear he's now talking about what's yet to happen in the book of Revelation. So right between the two, verse 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. So this will be happening during the period of tribulation. This is not talking about the gospel being preached now in all nations. We should, right? We've received the Great Commission. We, we're responsible to go and bring the gospel to the whole world. But just within the period of tribulation itself, within that seven-year period in itself, the gospel will be preached. And it makes sense, right? If, if God is bringing down this judgment and people are now finally believing the bad news, Right? that the sinners are being judged by God, it makes sense. God will want the gospel out there. So every person will have the opportunity to believe and be saved. Right? So we know that that will happen. There will be a great mission work that will be accomplished during that time. Again, it seems to be right in the middle there, right between what was called the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation. The first half and the second half 
which is exactly where we're finding this 144,000 being sealed by the living God. So it fits, number one. Um, okay, number two, uh, if we were, we are to continue, and we'll do that next week, uh, this passage is followed by the great multitude, which no one can, can number, that will come out of the great tribulation saved, right? So that's next week. So again, looking in context, where does this 144,000 happening? Then the great multitude comes out. Okay, it fits that these would be evangelists. Okay. Um, second, uh, God prophesied that he will use Israel as witnesses to the world, something that has not yet happened. Right? And we know all prophecy will have to be fulfilled by the end of this last week of Daniel. We saw that when we were studying the 70-week prophecy of Daniel, all the prophecies will have to be fulfilled by the end of that. Right? And so, so this prophecy that the Jews, Israel would be a witness to the rest of the world of God must come to pass. And, and, and we're running out of time, so it's going to have to be then. Uh, just a couple of passages about that. Uh, Isaiah 43, uh, 10 to 12, uh, God speaking to Israel through Isaiah, saying to them, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are witnesses, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. It is Israel's job to be a witness to the rest of the world as to who is the living God. Hasn't happened yet, but needs to happen. And then we see the answer for that in Zechariah 8, 22 through 23. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Hasn't happened yet, but has to happen, has to be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled through this 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Finally, uh, final argument for these being evangelists is their character, the character. And we can see the character of these 144,000 in Revelation uh, 14 through 1 through 5. I, I'll try not to get in too much into depth because somebody will be speaking about this in the future. But Revelation 14, 1 through 5 says, then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. So here's the 144,000 again, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones 
who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So quickly, I see here five, perhaps, characteristics. You may be able to find more uh, that, in my mind, fit with these guys being evangelists. Uh, first, there's a unique uh, worship. Only these are able to offer God worship. Worship should flow from our heart. It should describe our experience of God. And so this 144,000 would have to have a unique experience of God, which would fit with them being worldwide evangelists, uh, a special ministry that these 144,000 have. Uh, second, it says here that um, they were not uh, defiled by women. They are virgins. So uh, this world abounds with sexual immorality. Uh, if anything, the time of tribulation will be worse than what it is today, complete breakdown of, of any kind of sexual purity uh, in the world. So these would be people who refrain themselves from that. Now, it wouldn't be uh, defiling yourself if you're married, right? The Bible is clear that the marriage bed is undefiled. You're not being defiled by having a, a sexual relationship within the marriage union. So these would have to be uh, men who, in the will of God, are not getting married, right? It's not God's will for them to be married. And the only place we find in the Bible that recommends that, God's general rule is to be married, right? But Paul tells us there's going to be special times, special circumstances, special ministry, where a person can dedicate himself to God's work more effectively by remaining unmarried. So there has to be a very special work these 144,000 needed to do that they will be so focused on that they should not get married, right? Which, again, fits with them being worldwide evangelists. They, they won't be able to have a family life, right? Don't get married, right, and then leave your wife for seven years to go on a mission, <laughs> right? That's not, you know, just remain single if that's what you're going to do. Uh, Third, uh, it says here that they're always uh, with Christ. Uh, it says these are the ones who follow the Lamb, the lamb wherever uh, he goes. Where does Jesus go? In the um, Great Commission, Jesus kind of turns it around and, and tells us wherever uh, you go, there will I be with you. So as we go out in the Great Commission preaching the gospel, Jesus is there with the evangelists, with missionaries. He enables the work that they're doing to convert souls. Uh, so for this 144,000 to always be with Christ suggests the same thing. They're going with him. Where Christ is going and bringing the gospel, they're serving him over there. Uh, fourth, it says that they're, they're redeemed. And first fruit redeemed simply means that they're saved. They were first fruits. Suggests to me that they were probably among the first saved in the period of tribulation, which makes sense. They would have to be saved to come to know God before they can bring the message uh, to others. And then finally, uh, it says that there was no deceit in their mouth or fault before God. Uh, suggest uh, the purity of the message that they were bringing, they had to bring the gospel. Uh, when you preach the gospel, you need to be preaching the word of God faithfully. And that's what... Uh, 
they would be doing. Uh, something here, as he talks about them not having fault before God, uh, he omitted it as we were looking at the 144,000. But if you look carefully at that list, you will notice that one of the tribes is missing, and that is the tribe of Dan. So people have asked, why is Dan omitted? What sets Dan apart? Well, Dan seems to have been the tribe that led Israel into idolatry. You have to go back to the book of Judges, uh, and you see that uh, they were not satisfied with the place that God had set aside for them in the land of Israel. Instead, they decided to go somewhere else, and on the way, they steal idols, and, uh, and, and they, as a tribe, follow idols instead of following the living God, which the, the living God, which eventually the entire northern kingdom falls into that same trap uh, of idolatry. Uh, but God could be showing here the consequence. Uh, could we be saved and, um, and still fall into sin? Yes, yes, we certainly can. Uh, and it doesn't suggest that the tribe of Dan won't be saved. They will be part of all of Israel that will be saved. But because of the sin, they're not going to be part of the 144,000 that are going to go out as world evangelists. Uh, which speaks to me of my own life. If I allow sin uh, to rule my life, I'm not going to be a fa uh, an effective evangelist for God. I won't be able to carry that kind of ministry. Okay, so those three main reasons, uh, I think, are good arguments to why these 144,000 are going to be Jewish evangelists going out during this middle period of the seven-year tribulation to reach all those people who... Uh, who have come to believe the bad news, will being judged by God. And here's someone who says, here is how you will be able to stand when God is judging the world. God has provided for you a way of salvation. All you have to do is confess and believe, and you can be saved. Uh, a quick application for us, maybe a couple. Uh, one. Uh, again, I was surprised as I was looking at the different interpretation people had for these 144,000. Um, among them, uh, Jehovah Witnesses believe that these are going to be prophets. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses' prophets uh, would be 144,000. Uh, Mormons believe it's going to be the priests. Uh, the Mormon priests are going to be the 144,000. So to me, it seems a little bit like uh, thinking that these 144,000 are especially privileged, right? You know, only the best of the best could somehow number themselves with the 144,000. And yet, uh, all these privileges they have, if you look at in this passage, are privileges we have as believers, right? Uh, we, uh, we have special worship opportunities, right? We can worship God. Uh, for what he did for us. We come here every Sunday morning to remember the Lord uh, with the, uh, in the breaking of bread. Uh, we uh, can dedicate ourselves to God's work. Uh, it's not a sin to get married. Uh, we can be married in, in God's will. But we can offer ourselves uh, to God's work to serve him, uh, whether it be in missions or otherwise. Uh, we can enjoy fellowship with Christ. We can go where Christ is. He says uh, that... Uh, his fa the Father is always with him because he's always doing those things that please the Father. If we want to enjoy 
continuous fe fellowship with, with Christ, we can. Uh, we just continue to do the things he wants us to do, and we can enjoy fellowship with him. Uh, we're redeemed, uh, and we can, we can uh, speak the truth of God, the truth of his word, uh, uh, faithfully. Right? I mean, these are all things that we can enjoy. We don't have to relegate them to some spiritual elite out there and say, well, okay, those are going to be the one enjoying God's true blessings. I'm, I'm just going to plod along best as I can. No, you can enjoy the fullness of God's blessing yourself. Uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ is yours. And the other is remember that just because we don't see God's judgment falling on the earth right now, uh, just because people don't believe that they're under God's judgment doesn't mean that the gospel is not needed. Uh, people need the Lord just as much. It's just that the Holy Spirit has to convince them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But uh, we uh, can, can do the same work these 144,000 are by bringing uh, the gospel to people. People need to be saved. The judgment of God, eternity separated from God in hell, is worse than the judgment of God that will fall on the earth. And uh, we can today, as they, they will at that time, be the voice of God to an unsaved world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for a glimpse into this 144,000, seeing your faithfulness to your word in bringing out the Jewish people uh, to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill uh, to save them and to, to make them witnesses to, to the world. We thank you that there will be um, a great uh, company of, of saved, of saved uh, people that will come out of the tribulation. Uh, many, many will believe the bad news and then will have an opportunity to receive the good news and to be saved. We pray for our generation. We know in every generation uh, you want uh, all the nations to be reached. We recognize today uh, the reality of that. And uh, we ask, Lord, for, for wisdom, power, purity of life, all the things that we need so that we could be an effective voice uh, for you in reaching the lost. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.